Hello, I'm Tom McFarland, and I'm here with Philip Seip, and we're back after a very long hiatus. Um, it, it's been, how long has it been, Philip? <laughs> oh, man, I feel like maybe, I want to say like definitely a month, possibly approaching two. I don't think it's been much longer than that, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, uh, so I was moving and that was causing all kinds of chaos. Then I got COVID and I couldn't talk for like a week. And then I was moving again and had been set back on schedule because I had had COVID for a while. And then I, then I got COVID. Oh yeah. Then you got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it's been some times folks. It's been some times, but we're yeah. back. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I dodge it for two years but uh this this latest variant of omicron that's like hyper hyper infectious even compared to omicron itself uh, finally got to me it just kind of like burned through uh our city like nuts uh kind of before anyone saw any uptick in cases and then suddenly it felt like everyone was sick and then sure enough i'm laying in bed feeling awful look at the thing and it's like giant spike to the ceiling but I mean, we hadn't talked about this, so I don't want to pin you to the wall. If you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. Um, but I kind of want to share my experience with COVID. Um, and it, it, do you want to share yours? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm down. Um, um, my, yeah. You go first. Yours was more recent. You probably remember yours better. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's it's pretty uneventful, all things considered. Um, I didn't really even know, like. I had kind of chalked it up to just like um, like a cold because um, there was no like obvious COVID symptoms and I didn't really have anything except for a runny nose. And even that was like so minor, like I wasn't even sure it's like, sometimes my nose gets runny when it just gets like cold in my house or, you know, something. So it's like, and I keep it pretty cold in my house because I like it that way. So like I had just had this, a lot of confounding things that made me go like, eh, probably fine. Uh, and then just like I, I had, we had a plans to go to, um, a local like theme park with my sister and we went and I rode one of the rides and I felt like weirdly motion sick, despite the fact that that's literally never happened to me on any roller coaster or any ride. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, and then like, I kind of started feeling just kind of like weak all of a sudden, uh, after walking around for a while and I was like man I'm just not feeling good today I was just like oh but it was really hot too so I was like oh, I'm even just getting hot but then like you know keeping drinks and coolness down and then I was just like okay I think something's wrong so like you know I just looked at Bethany and I was like I think I need to go I'm just like not feeling great and so we checked out and then um the like later you know I just kind of got a little bit worse and then I was like okay I should probably test for this and then tested and it was like super positive um but like you know I spent the rest you know the next few days like resting and, and whatnot it was um I had a very mild case uh, I've always kind of had uh, like an, an immune system that I, I don't know if it performs well or it just doesn't show many symptoms I don't, I don't really know but like, regardless, like, I feel like most diseases don't hit me as hard as they tend to hit a lot of people, at least a lot of people near me. Um, and so like, I didn't feel too much. I felt kind of crummy for one day uh, where I didn't really want to do much. 
uh, and then the next day I felt like I kind of went back and forth between like feeling like, oh, I feel a little bit better. Let me go get up and, and do some some task or whatever. And then I would get up and do that task. And then it would be like, mm, I think I want to lay back down. <laughs> and then kind of cycled through that for another couple of days. But then like the third day of that experience, I got up and did it and then didn't feel bad after and then didn't after another task and was like, OK, well, I uh, uh, let me test again. And then I was negative. Um, and so mine was basically just like I kind of laid around for a couple of days and didn't do much. Um, and uh, it wasn't it like for in my experience, and I'm not uh, wanting to minimize the uh, the you know seriousness of the overall thing, but my personal experience as someone who is vaccinated, someone who generally gets a lighter case of the stuff that goes around and all that stuff was that um, I've had worse flus, but um, you know, that's not everyone's experience obviously. And uh, that just happened to be mine. So I was lucky to have a very mild case of it. So I felt crap like crap for a couple of days and then was fine. Yeah, so mine, I think might've been a little, I, so I'm like, I don't know if it was worse or if it was, that I haven't been sick in two, yeah, two and a half years. And so any illness felt like death. Um, but it hit oh, me. That, don't worry. Once, once your baby gets here <laughs> and gets a couple years in it, uh, it'll, uh, you will, you will get all the things that you thought that you have been immune to. You're like, I don't get strap. I don't get any of that stuff. And you're like, Oh, that's just cause you haven't been challenged recently. <laughs> Yeah, it it hit me like a freight truck. I felt like, and so my 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 situation wasn't good. I um, so I was in the process of moving from Oklahoma to Missouri, and I had pretty much been deleting myself of sleep. And every every weekend off of when I was off work, I would load up a car full of things and drive it five hours to Missouri and then unload it and then run a bunch of errands here in town, getting rugs and furnishings for the house and moving other things and ordering things and buying things and doing all of that stuff, getting the house ready in order. And then turning around the next, like, you know, arriving that night, doing all of that, turning around the next morning and driving home. And so that, and then on top of, of course, packing during the week and going to work and all of that, I was getting not very many hours of sleep. And it was on one of these trips that I, I made it up here. I felt fine the night during the night, uh, got here, unloaded for, uh, well, I actually, I didn't unload at night. I was like, well, I'm going to wait. And in the morning, I'm going to unload the car. And I got up in the morning and I had like the really like, and so I have a chron I have a chronic lung condition, um, and I also have, so I have chronic asthmatic bronchitis, um, which means every, like every time I get any type of illness, it always turns into bronchitis. And then I end up with like asthma and inflammation issues from the bronchitis. And, uh, which means every little illness I get ends up lasting for weeks and weeks and months. Um, and I, and it's, I think it's also probably broken my vocal cords to the point that I have the radio voice that I have. But, um, <laughs> like, uh, but, um, I, so I've had a lot of sore throats, but this sore throat didn't feel like any other sore throat I've ever had. And so it didn't even hit me as like an illness. When I woke up in the morning, I was just like, ah, this, 
oh man, there is something in this house that is getting to me. Like I, you know, it's an it's a hundred year old house. I just figured like I had inhaled some dust or something. Um, did not agree with my throat. Kind of went in one ear and out the other. I didn't think much of it because I felt fine. I got up, went about my day, um, moved, unloaded the car, moved a bunch of things around. Uh, I actually did have some people uh, come over to the house to drop off some furniture. I'm very grateful that by being an introvert, I didn't want to stay in the same room with them while they were like setting up furniture. So I kept myself in a different part of the house the whole time they were here. Um, which makes me feel better about the fact that I later found out I had COVID. Um, that we just did not interact at all. It was just like, oh, hey, I unlocked the car door for you guys. I'm gone. Um, but uh, yeah, so I felt, again, I felt fine. They left. I uh, cleaned some things up, was getting ready to leave and was going to go get lunch. And I was like, man, I am exhausted. I must not have got enough sleep last night. So, kind of the same kind of thing. If it didn't feel sick, I just felt just drained. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm, I'll eat. Maybe then I'll feel better and have more caffeine. I'd had like my morning coffee plus some other coffee. It was like, man, I still just don't have any energy. So I had some caffeine, ate some food and still felt like shit. But I was like, well, whatever. I got to drive home. And so I get in the car and start a five hour drive home. And I made it about halfway when I realized like I was kind of too tired to make the drive but i was like i'm committed to the thing i'm gonna do the thing I, it still didn't really sink into me that i was sick like later looking back i was like oh yeah no i was sick as hell but i hadn't been sick in like two years uh so i drove straight through i was having all of these issues like staying attentive and driving i'm like i'm going through like the whole nine yards rolling down the window sticking my head out the window stopping every now and again and getting out and just like walking around parking lots again i'm super thankful i wasn't going in places or anything uh just by my nature of not wanting to do all of that but uh yeah i got home and told kathleen first thing i was like look i am exhausted i shouldn't have even drove down here. I'm going to go to sleep like now. I'm dropping my keys off and going to bed. And I laid down in bed. And I woke up like an hour later with like shakes and freezing cold under the covers. And that was when I was like, oh, okay, this is, I'm sick. This is definitely a fever. Something's majorly wrong. And so uh took my temp, had a, like a pretty high fever. Um, Like I, I want to say I was right... 102 103 or maybe it was more than that i don't know anyways i had a fever and so then she was like well you need to take a covid test and so i did and it was glaringly positive and uh then it was like a lot of anxiety for me because again i have like a you know a history of lung issues and uh covid has kind of been a nightmare thing for me but um so we immediately started isolating from each other because uh my wife is pregnant and thank we thankfully we are very privileged in that we own a space well don't own we rent a space big enough to be able to isolate from one another uh she started sleeping in the guest room i had the master bedroom uh she was making all of our meals uh, which is was a flip normally i do all of the cooking and everything but she did a fantastic job kind of just taking on all of that um and then we just dropped it off inside the room and you know we i wore a mask every time i came and went um yeah we making I, your pregnant wife do all the cooking huh <laughs> um but yeah so the she actually never got it uh which i'm super 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 grateful for 
Um, Did the dinner come in like underneath the doors, like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like um, no, I had like a little TV tray at the end of the door. She would drop it on, but uh, and it was one of the weird things is like almost every illness I've ever had, I have a loss of appetite. I had no loss of appetite at any point during COVID. Like I ate normally, but it felt it was felt if in every single way for me felt different than any other time I've been sick. Not even in worse ways, but just different. Uh, like sickness always feels a certain way for me, and that it just felt weird. And uh, and I went through like the the symptoms would happen so quickly. Like I'm so used to always getting the same like the same stuff where like it gets like I know the progression of like oh I have a sore throat for a while. Now I'm gonna have like throat congestion. Then it's gonna be deep chest congestion. Then it'll be throat congestion, and then I'll be good. Like it's like this process, and it takes like six weeks. With this, it was like every eight hours I would get an entirely new set of symptoms. Um, like it was uh. the, the the fevers and the shakes and the sore throat for that first section. Oh, and then tinnitus, like with like I was having a fever and I had like the worst tinnitus I've ever experienced in my life, which I have tinnitus always do, but it was just dialed to a million. Like I couldn't sleep the first night because of my tinnitus. And then it shifted into uh like the worst runny nose i've ever had in my life like i just could not stop producing mucus um to like an alarming rate um and then i lost my entire voice could not speak at all and uh and then after it was kind of around the same time as the losing the voice i started having the same thing you described where it was like this looping Oh, I'm fine. I'm going to go mow the yard. And I would get like halfway through the yard and I just would collapse. Couldn't do it. And then the last phase for me was brain stuff. I couldn't think. I, I, I was trying to pack and move the house and I would like take something, walk halfway across the house and then not know what I was doing with it or where I was going or anything. And I mean, like people like joke about like, oh, I do that all the time. But it was different. It wasn't that like memory loss when you walk out of a room. It was a really unsettling, just brain blank, like to a whole new degree of just like, I don't know why I'm standing here. And that was oh, super uncomfortable. And it honestly, for a long time afterwards, I was having some kind of like, and I mean, for me, it's a so, little, you know, I, like, I don't want to like, uh, to, to, uh, like, diagnosed or anything but like like it's interesting that you describe that as extremely disturbing because like that's literally like been my daily life forever which is like that kind of uh like uh like lot like short-term memory type of issue is like a really common problem for people with adhd like uh i'll walk into a room and be like why did i come in here and you just like make your peace with it you're like i guess i'll remember if it if uh <laughs> uh you know hopefully it's not something that i really needed to remember but i mean um, yeah. and like i said like to a light degree i have that like to a degree of like i don't know it's like a quirky little oh man i forgot that thing i was in here for well yeah i'm gonna mill around in here and i'll figure it out i don't even know how to put a thumb on it this was like a different because it wasn't just that thing that i had forgotten i think this was it it wasn't just the thing that i went in there i forgot it was just like my whole okay 
here we go. It was like if you're looking at a certain window open in your browser and you closed your whole tab of browsers. Like you just closed that whole, or sorry, one tab in your browser, right? You just closed that whole browser. It's not just the loss of that tab and like, oh, what was in that tab? It's just, no, all the tabs are gone. I don't know what any of my tabs for today were. And now I've got to rebuild them all. Oh, it was, okay. yeah, I don't, I don't know even how to like phrase that, but it was uncomfortable, but yeah, it sounds like it, but I'm fine now. I'm better now. Um, yeah, I mean, same. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely, my, sorry, I didn't, we, I maybe spent too much time on this, but, uh, I, I think my definite takeaway is go get the vaccinate vaccine, go get boosted and don't run out there like, well, I'm just going to go get COVID and then everything will be, then I'll be fine. Because I mean, like also like and th with uh, this one, BA5 or whatever, uh, people are getting reinfected like weeks after they've already had it. So yeah. don't, don't fuck around and don't find out. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one, you know. Uh, uh, I, I've been, I've thought a lot over the past couple of years about you know like the evolutionary pressure of the whole thing which is like very interesting when it comes to um humans and viruses and that like the way that humans react to disease largely uh means that like sort of the right evolutionary pressure or the sort of the sweet spot for a virus is to be like highly infectious and uh you know as as asymptomatic as possible uh, of course, being totally asymptomatic means by nature you're less infectious because if you're not sneezing or coughing or anything like, it's harder to transmit. Um, but uh, it's really interesting uh, having seen like kind of this thing going on of like COVID mutating and reaching these spots where it's becoming like increasingly infectious but lowering the severity of its symptoms or at least making its symptoms like like longer term rather than like you know like it like there's an interesting tension uh in the whole thing it gets complicated but like it's been uh you know the ideal the ideal spot for a virus to live indefinitely would be to uh be um in the american infectious and like uh because the problem is if your your symptoms are too severe evolutionarily uh humans notice you and that's a problem because they have medicine <laughs> and then they try to get rid of you forever um and that's a problem and that happened to several diseases um but uh you know so so you don't want to get noticed ideally um but you do want to uh um spread <laughs> so you know it's, it's been interesting uh you know it's been trading a lot of its severity for its um infectiousness in an evolutionary path but it'll be interesting to see where it sort of lands if anywhere if or yeah. if it just continues to mutate like nuts over time yeah and i mean and that's one of the things is that it's like you know part of the things of mutations is that mutations aren't intended like it isn't intentionally picking mutations the next right. mutation could be an in, a massive increase in severity along with the increase in spread not that it intended to, but that's just what happened. And we did fuck all to prevent it. And, and now we're fucked. But. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, de it, de it definitely depends, especially like with the weird attitude and politicization of it all. Like it's been, uh, 
you know, it, it puts a different texture on it, which is why I was kind of hesitant to make too many like really big, like broad claims about it. But like, um, uh, it's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, now that we've our intro has been like thirty five minutes long. Um, <laughs> uh, let's get into our main topic. So. Um, before we left a few months ago, we did part one of a two intended two part series, and we never got around to part two. Um, <laughs> part two is, and I'm not actually sure if I've we've talked to everyone else about what our part two is going to be, but um, I, for a very short time, uh, and apologies for the dog barking. I'm sure many of you can hear. Uh, we have a tiny corgi right now, and I, I can't stop it. But anyways. So for a very short time, I uh, fell into, well, I, I wouldn't say fell into, I pursued in a uh, culturally uh, in, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Insensitive? Yeah, insensitive way pursued uh, Buddhism. Now, um, I, I still have a great deal of respect for the Buddhist faith. Uh, but and I don't like think oh no white people should ever be involved with Buddhism that's not my statement or anything of the nature my personal pursuance and path into it I think was problematic both in the grander ideological scheme and discussions of imperialization and colonization but also on a personal uh, end of things and on that personal end of things I actually want to get into Thor um, the, uh, the new Thor movie, um, I don't remember the name of the new Thor movie, but that's not relevant. You all know what it is. So I just watched it. And one of the things that it does that I think is really fascinating and sorry, Philip is getting spoiled here because, uh, he hasn't seen it yet. I consented to the spoiler ahead of time. So, <laughs> uh, one of the things that it does, and it does this kind of passingly is so you've got this like Thor in a bathrobe and an extremely pseudo zen mode in the beginning and i say pseudo you're not really supposed to get that it's pseudo it's just you know thor is very chill and relaxed in the beginning because he's trying to better himself and get past his previous traumas and all of the bullshit and so he's kind of taking this route of doing it um that he's super zen and later on in the movie as he breaks away from all of that and you know has this massive character growth throughout the movie he mentions about how he uh like tried doing that once and it just made him angrier but in a different way and i think there's a lot of relevancy to that in my path through buddhism i was taking so to begin at the beginning i was in college i was taking world religions classes um because i did and still do find world religions fascinating um partly because i grew up and my, my parents tried to be very like you know learn all of the things they weren't um christian uh uh you know those type of like Christians who are like, no, if you learn about anything else, you're going to be uh, converted by it. Mm. But by nature of living in a rural area with parents who grew up in that rural area, I was isolated from knowledge about a lot of things. 
Learning about it in college was fascinating to me. Learning this massive world of things outside of Christianity was fascinating to me. And when I learned about Buddhism in class, oh boy, did it speak to me. Every single thing about this, I was like, well, this is obviously the correct one. Like, which was a really weird, like, I think this is one of the things that we don't talk about of like how people fall into fundamental fundamentalism in that uh i think a lot of folks have a moment folks who aren't grown up into it because there's a difference between like you know when you grow up into it as a child and you don't really get a you're, you're it, you know it's like a preformed thing for this when it hits you when you're an adult that feeling of like hearing about a thing and just being like, well, obviously that's the correct path. And it, I get that. That's a super easy thing to do. It's real easy as a leftist to read about Jesus and be like, well, fuck, obviously that's the right one. Um, but that was Buddhism for me. It just pushed all those buttons. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I don't know. Like I, I see that partially as a function of like, um, uh like actually like sort of insufficient education when it comes to just like philosophy type stuff in general like like philosophy is the kind of thing like people kind of like stumble into and like only ever really get into it in college or post-college like uh because it's just not really offered except in like a few high schools here and there and even then like it's uh, usually focused on just like some basic like logic and reasoning type stuff uh and they don't really get into like the the real meat of some of the stuff and like i'm certainly no like professional philosopher i don't have any educa formal education in philosophy but just my own personal experience like i i resonate a lot with the thing that you're describing and just like a lot of times just hitting different pockets of ways of thinking and like um frames like uh ideological frames and all kinds of stuff that's just like i've never thought about this problem in this way and it explains so much of reality that previously i had a lot of difficulty even beginning to understand and like it re that really does come with this sort of like uh, almost intellectual euphoria of like i found the truth um but you know go through that enough times <laughs> experience enough new philosophies in enough different ways and you suddenly sort of start to get that realization of like oh i get it reality is a huge messy thing and you're never going to get to see it all at once and there's going to be parts of that are permanently hidden from you and these new lenses are exciting because they let you see it in a new way and experience new parts of it but that doesn't mean that this lens is now the correct one to view the world through there is no correct one to view the world through you don't have access to that uh your best bet is to get a bunch of different lenses and try to get a you know a more robust picture of what reality might actually be so like i say all that to say like basically that um i i i get what you mean and i see it uh you know i'm sure like however you view it like there's I mean, kind of goes without saying, based on what I was just describing, there's a, a very a variety of ways to look at it, all of which have some degree of truth to them. Um, but, uh, you know, I definitely see in that a degree of just uh, what it feels like to see the world in a in a way that you have not been previously exposed to. And I can definitely see how you would, you know, arrive at that space, you know, investigating a religion that's radically different from the sort of abrahamic religions that people are generally exposed to in the united states so exactly i mean yeah and that's 
one of the reasons why like I kind of why this story telling this story is one that I wanted to tell on here. I mean, like one of our origins of wanting to do this podcast was trying to create a diff like an additional or a, di a different path to like the uh, alt right pipeline that exists for young men. We even outside of that pipeline, we exist in the United States in such such a shrunk down, narrowed path of just not, we are actively not told or not uh, made privy to, like, it's not like a conspiratorial thing. It's just generations of generations of generations of not telling people certain things. And so it doesn't end up told. And you're, we all, we all exist in these little bubbles of, of like, yeah, just as you explained, like, with philosophy in high school, the concept of teaching philosophy in high school is seen as dumb because, well, how's that productive? How's that going to help you get a job in the real world? What are you going to be a philosopher? I remember making fun of philosophy classes in college because it was like, well, what are you going to do? Become a philosopher, a philosophy uh, teacher, a philosophy? Like, there's no job that you can do with that. But the point of the fucking humanities is that you get a job with the thing. It's great if you get a job in that thing. But it teaching you this existence of the broad spectrum of experience of humanity is incredibly valuable to an individual, but it's also the absolute linchpin. Uh, linchpin is probably a problematic term. I, first time, like, I'm going to Google that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, Who knows? It is the capstone if you will, uh, to the, the, the way, the way that it's so easy for people to get led into things, to, to find your Moses who leads you, uh, into a promised land of some kind of ideology and ideal, um, because of this, like exactly what you just described. And then, I mean, that was what happened to me. It wasn't even that anybody like came out like, ah, we're we going to find these disaffected youths that we can turn into Buddhists. Like nobody's doing that. But I also do think like, you know, when I think of like the other white people I've met who got super into Buddhism are all a lot of people who had this kind of similar experience I had of growing up um, kind of around a uh very christian dominated culture society and religious teaching and we're looking for something outside of the abrahamic religions um and we found this thing that does i will argue of course yes it teaches a lot of wonderful ideas and things and stuff and good things to learn literally every religion teaches you a bunch of good stuff to learn. That's how they stuck around for all of this time teaching people things. But it's just, as you mentioned, getting this broad spectrum of philosophy and understanding that this comes from a bajillion different directions and that it's maybe the things using these good ideas aren't, you know, it, it's not... You shouldn't become a zealot and a fundamentalist for something and of like this is the one true thing attitude breaks apart when you really have this broad spectrum education and understanding of the world around you. Yeah. Well, and I mean I even get it from the perspective of like um 
Um, I'm noticing this the longer that I'm a parent, especially, is that like, you know, you have limited time. Like I'm going to get 18 to 20 some odd years to teach my kids as much as I can. Uh, but you're, you know, there's some things that you got to teach them. You got to teach them, you know, how to process, you know, emotions. You got to teach them, uh, you know, self-control and you got to teach them all kinds of stuff. And in that you squeeze in as much other stuff as you can, but we've outsourced a lot of that effort to teachers for good. Like parents, uh, homeschooling is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, and I am certain that teachers would do a better job educating my students or educating my sons more broadly than I would. But like, there's also that tension still, even with all that help, there's only so many hours in the day people still have to live their lives. And at the end of the day, you're not gonna be able to learn everything. Even if we lived in a perfect utopia where everyone did nothing but learn all the time, you wouldn't be able to learn all the human knowledge that we have now. And given that you kind of have to start deciding, making decisions about what you are and aren't gonna spend time teaching people generally. And someone made that decision and someone and people continue to make that decision and i think it's valid to look at that and go uh to like to recognize the flaws in it and maybe that you you know maybe you could come to the conclusion that like okay but you know given that in comparison to all the other things you could possibly learn this really is the most useful set of things the most like relevant or whatever for based on all of these standards but you know I think if an honest look at it says like what we've decided is important for everyone to learn in school has very, very little to do with what's even really what's applicable in um, the job market today, because frankly, 99% of jobs do not require you to learn algebra two. The reason everyone learns algebra two in high school is because um, we were in the middle of trying to compete with Russia uh, to space or whatever and everyone decided that we really needed to try to like cram out a whole bunch of scientists like it like there's this illusion that people have like that someone someone really sat down and carefully thought about what the best set of things to learn was and that's just not true <laughs> no it, it's not i mean and this gets into something that we kind of talked about before the episode of you know, the myth of professionalism, we all have this idea that everything that exists around us was created by somebody massively more intelligent than us personally, uh, or more professional than us personally. But when you really get to like a lot of the like you know the fundamental like the and I I, I was not prepared for this particular line of discussion. But, <laughs> yeah, this is a bit of a tangent um, on what we intended to, but. Yeah, there's an element of, you know, the system of education in the United States that we all kind of assume is designed by, when I say the system, I'm kind of talking about the the system of like, learning through regurgitation and uh, of standardized testing and all of that kind of concept idea. That all does not come from best practice studies by academics, by education professionals like that was not that's not where that came from when you get into it it's all like just random fucking people who were 
more or less sort of motivational speakers who went around to company to company and sold them a pitch on an idea. Yeah. Or, which is, you know, mo- you know, some sort of political motivation to, you know, which is also how we got the polygraph test, which we all assume is a real thing. And it's absolutely not. Every element of it is like it's not valid to science, to psychology, to in any way. Nothing about polygraph tests records anything relevant. It, that's not polygraph tests are like a massive fucking grift in every sort of way. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we've talked about my anger towards psychology. Uh, the Myers-Briggs is bullshit. There's no fucking science to the Myers-Briggs. Myers and Briggs, neither of whom were psychologists. Like, it's (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) Go off, King. (laughs) Uh, Um, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, Like, memes aside, like, I genuinely, like, I've looked into some of this as well. And yeah, like, I get frustrated about the same thing. Um, I have as much uh, sort of gut reaction reaction to uh uh, what's it uh like the myers Briggs as i do to like astrology or whatever yes (laughs) like (laughs) just nope to all of it and so yeah to pull to rein back in we got a little maybe a little off topic there but i mean like um but yeah, so uh, to rein all the way in, I alluded to something earlier, um, and that was this kind of a. I was so angry, and I was, I thought maybe this would fix it, and it just made me angrier. It's this uh, for me, and I find there's a lot of elements of this that I I, I come across in a lot of different things. Like for, I just read about a. A uh, somebody who got super into crypto and like he was a former uh, cocaine addict and um, he like getting into crypto helped him stay clean and he got immensely into crypto and then the crypto market crashed and he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it, this has broken my whole worldview that echoes through so many things I've heard from friends and acquaintances and people I've known who have fallen into fundamentalism, which is partly just the background I came from. A lot of folks uh, with a lot of uh, substance abuse issues uh, who found, you know, who replaced that with fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Um, In my case, it was a lack of therapy, a lack... I went through and I'm not going to get into certain things, but I went through a lot of trauma that I did not until extremely recently recognize as trauma. And so I therefore never processed it or attempted to deal with it as trauma because I just didn't know it was trauma. Uh, I, I needed somebody with a un, uh, altered view of things to look at things and tell me, Hey, that was a horrifying trauma you went through. Right. Yeah. And go to therapy. It's great. It's fantastic audience. Um, but so instead what I did is I kept falling through these various different things that I did. That was my attempting to find resolutions to a thing that I didn't know how to not even, it's not just process, but just deal with how to, deal with how it was presenting in 
my emotions and my life and my behavior and everything. And the meditation, the Zen, the I'm just gonna do this thing and it fixes it. I get the euphoria and it's gone. I, whether it's pray, whether it's meditate. And I mean, and I think there's, I've, I've argued before on here how I think meditation is great. I think mindfulness and meditation has an immense purpose and place, but just I mean, a bandage is super useful. A Tylenol is useful, but if you have a gunshot wound, maybe it's not a bandage and a Tylenol that you need. Um, yeah. And it wasn't the right tool for the thing. And the way that I was covering it up, it just it just caused this this wound to fester under the surface until it later manifested itself out in even worse ways than it did before. I found this magical thing, this magical thing that fundamentalism that cured my you know issues. Uh, yeah, that was my through point and how I got out. I couldn't even actually really tell you. I, I don't really know how, well, I think part of it happened by being in China and living in China and having a kind of a long, slow, progressive realization of like, Oh, this culture isn't mine. I have a culture. This isn't it. Maybe I shouldn't take that from somebody else. And not even in like necessarily those words, but that was what happened and progressed until I just slipped away from it and recognized it as something I respect. I keep at arm's length, uh, but it just isn't me. And uh, yeah, it, it was that kind of life experience and knowledge caused me to go in a different direction and pull away from it. So, so you're saying that the, that your sort of experience, you feel like your experience in China was like a big, a big thing that sort of like, kind of like going and experiencing other culture sort of like helped you see some of the, that same kind of like maybe like dissonance you were having with with other things in like Buddhism or like can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, no, and I should because it did. There was a lot of things that um, coming back from China. Um, in my time in China, just my time in China, even though it was short, I was only there like six months, but it did it because I was a small rural, like a small town rural kid, it exploded my, um, perception and knowledge of, you know, the real world knowledge of things. Like I talk a lot about like, there's knowing a thing and then there's knowing a thing. I had so much to know. Uh, that I didn't even realize until I was there and I was just experiencing stuff and spending time with people from ridiculously wide backgrounds and um, just grew up a lot in a real short time. And also part of it too was just having to grow up, having to, you know, being on the other side of the world from every single person that I had ever known um, and having to like really rapidly age. Um, and... With that specifically, there was an element of, because I also, I did this like right at 2016, right? Right when we're all wanting to be like, fuck it, I'm leaving America because Donald Trump's becoming president and I want to make my big thing about how I'm, this isn't my America, this doesn't represent me, I'm not one of these people. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I basically ended up inadvertently doing that and then having this hard slap in the face of guess what? Everywhere has problems. Like, I mean, like it, it definitely was a politically radicalizing moment for me living in China in that I recognized the immediate and because I was not really a political person when I went there. Like I actively tried to not be political before I went to China because I didn't yeah. want to be on a watch list uh, here or there. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh man. That's... I mean, like there was paranoia that I had going into China. Cause I mean like the shit you're told when you're here is like, you know, the communists oh, yeah. bug your room. And, um, and I mean, and I did have a couple of like sketchy stories of things that happened. Like uh, I, you know, encounters with uh, state officials Um I think there was one where like I was teaching an Ozarks history class uh, at the university that was like in an English corner. And uh, there was a state communist official who it was his job to just go check in on organizing events to make sure that, you know, it's not like a Westerner organizing them into a religion or against the Chinese state or anything like that. And um, so like he started pulling people out of my class and interrogating them and then my class numbers dropped and, and then he, yeah, that was, uh, and then he started showing up other places we were at and that was just a little uncomfortable. And you know, I mean like little things, it was never anything like super scary. There was some like super, like, I remember like going to anytime you would go to like a park or the train station, well, like specifically. So every time you would go to the park, there would always be this like, va- uh, not even a van. It was more like a, like a middle mobile home trailer kind of set up with just cluttered with radio antennas and dishes and all kinds of like electronic equipment. And like, I remember asking like, uh, some Chinese friends of mine, like, what's that about? It's obviously police. It says police all over it. And they were like, Oh, well that's like, they listen to everybody in the park. So that like, if you're, you know, planning a protest, like they shut that shit down immediately. Um, <laughs> uh, right. like, and that's like one of those like real <laughs> cultural, like, Oh, like, even even in Donald Trump's America, that would be considered like pretty fucked up. <laughs> like yeah, um, and then like when I went to the train station, like the tra- uh, first of all, trains are amazing. We need more trains in America. But when I entered the train station, it was a huge empty area with the lead into the station with a tower in the middle of it with a guard who marched around the top of it, and the guard had an assault rifle and. You have this whole big empty area that you have to cross through to get inside. And I was like, man, this seems like such a waste of space. And that's not a common thing in China. I asked a friend of mine, I'm like, what's with this little plaza area? And he was like, oh, well, they make sure that it's big enough that, like, if he has to shoot you, you can't run away. <laughs> it's a kill zone. They create a kill zone. That's their way of getting rid of mass shooters. They create a kill zone so that if you come, you know. Um, and that's there's elements of like so to you know this today leads me to not being a marxist leninist but um (laughs) (laughs) i'm very anti-state because i've experienced both types of police state in a supposedly communist country china's not very communist um and then of course an extraordinarily right-wing capitalist hardcore right-wing capitalist country uh, the american police state and uh yeah, come out of stankies okay here like, <laughs> tommy's tommy's pulled the trigger now so oh, let's go i've been called a cia asset before by tankies <laughs> like oh clearly if you went to china and you experienced this it must be because you're a cia asset like 
saying that I'm lying and making all of this up that like I just I just like exist in America to tell people these bullshit stories yeah. about China. Some of those takes are just like, uh, like it's so weird coming from Christian fundamentalism and hearing people say that like in all seriousness. And you're like, I could take everything you're saying and just like replace it with like agent of the devil. And like, it's the exact <laughs> same argument. Like people would make like to me as to like, why, like I should believe in fundamentalist Christianity because like, the only reason you believe this is because like you've been tricked by a demon or whatever. It's just like, no. <laughs> I mean, like the only element of things I hear from Marxist Leninists that I would agree with is that China's not communist. And hey, you know what? I'll I'll agree with you on that one. I wouldn't see it as my ideal communist state, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, sorry, and I got a little sidetracked here. Experiencing all of that taught me a real hard lesson in every state everywhere has its problems for a long laundry list of reasons. Um, I don't know how to tackle these. This isn't a place that I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't know this. Like there are elements of living here that throughout the rest of my life, I will not be able to learn it in a way that somebody from here learns in the exact same way that even transplants into central Oklahoma or Southern Missouri are never going to be as incorporated into that as somebody who was born in it generationally a part of it has, you know, there's generational like connections that I can talk about of like, well, my grandparents experience or my great grandparents experience living in the Ozark Hills. That makes the problems here my problem because I am more situated to deal with it. And if I deal with it, I'm not uh, consuming someone else's cult, like, like in a negative kind of way, consuming another culture and I'm not colonizing it. Uh, yeah. Well, and I mean, even just like, you know, leftist analysis of it aside, there's a degree to which like, there's all kinds of like, um, like, like people will talk about the combination of like knowing something and uh, knowing that, you know, it, uh, all the time and you know people get three out of the four of them just immediately you're like there's the things that that you know and you know you know them like that's just knowledge everyone knows what that is like there's the things that you uh know that you don't know and people are like familiar with that thing it's like oh yeah like i don't know uh i don't know theoretical physics like uh that's something that i'm aware that exists and i know that it's there and i know that i don't know any uh don't know it uh people know about uh, not knowing things like they have the experience of learning a new thing and then going from that stage they're like yeah like there are things that I don't know about and I don't know that I don't know them because I've never heard of them but it's the things that like people that are unknown knowns the things that you don't know but that you don't know that you know them that people find like super counterintuitive and I I mean same the the this discussion is like a perfect way to like kind of get a grasp on that because it's it's right there in that like that's the thing that really marks the difference between someone who was born into a culture born into a thing versus adopted it later on is that there's always like little things that you're finding out like everyone knows and sometimes and you'll find that they don't even know that they know it like for example like I still learn things about that are like rules about the English language that I've been following my entire life, but were never explicitly taught to me. 
um, that were just picked up from the experience of speaking it for a while. And so like, for example, like when you're speaking the English, you start at a higher register and you go through the sentence and the further you get in the sentence, your pitch goes down over and over until you're done. <laughs> and if you don't do that, it sounds like a question or it sounds weird. Like you do that, that's a rule in speaking English. If you go to an English speaking country and you don't speak starting your sentence at a higher pitch and gradually descending it over, over the course of a sentence or a phrase, then people will be like, that person's first language is in English. And they won't even be able to tell you why. They'll just be like, they're saying it weird and I can't really like pinpoint exactly what's going on. So like everyone who speaks English knows this, but very, very few people know that they know it. <laughs> um, and, and you wouldn't unless you either study it very, very intently or you're born into it. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, that's, yeah, going through that, like, un understanding and learning that um, was definitely, like, I would argue the first step of me kind of becoming an anti, like, anti-colonization, anti-imperialist, um, of recognizing of, like, that, and, of course, you know, that coupled with history and political, later political theory. And then another element of this, too, was unpacking my own... Up until this point, my college experience, um, my life experience had been me trying to distance myself from an Ozarks background, from, uh, for folks who aren't aware of the Ozarks, uh, essentially cousin to Appalachia. And so Appalachian culture in the United States, we have made the butt of every joke. It is the inbred cousin of america it is the uh you know the hillbillies with no shoes on their feet the worst iteration of poor white people that you can conceive of and so it's negative to be from appalachia socially in the uh hegemony of american thought same with the ozarks and so i always wanted to distance myself from that i didn't want to be uh, you know, and also like I, you know, recognized elements of racism and sexism and, and homophobia in a lot of the culture that I grew up in. And I wanted to distance myself from that very rightly. And so I just wrapped all of that up and with a nice dollop of classism on top because I didn't want to look poor. I hated everything about that identity. And for reasons that I couldn't even quite put words on when I went to China, was the first time that I had a real stark miss of all of that. I missed everything about that identity. I missed everything that that said about me. The the way you know the way I experienced all of those elements of riding in the back of a pickup truck with no shirt on and you know uh, partying and I mean, that's a kind of a ridiculous example for a very specific reason. But I mean like. You know, the, the elements of the stories that I learned growing up, the um, the, the language, that you know, the, the, the dialect that I grew up listening to, the way I would walk into old houses and hear older folks speak, the way that food tasted, the way that things smell, the way that the, like, you know, like the, 
you know, this was a thing for me in, in uh, Oklahoma, the way the dirt just looked different. It looked right. It looked like what I was used to. The, the sound and smell of creeks, specifically creeks coming out of a cave, those real freshwater springs. Like it those just have like a different vibe to them, a smell and a feeling and a coolness that just is unmatched. And it was all of that kind of stuff all the, for the first time in my life, I missed it. And I felt homesick. I'd never felt homesick before. Even though I'd moved around and done stuff, I never felt homesick. And that taught me so much about what was actually important to my... To, it made me for the first time realize that I had a culture and I shouldn't run away from it and hate it. Um, and that that also made me have the ability to have an appreciation for other people's culture because it's like, oh, this is as much as that is a part of me. This other person's culture is a part of them. And if I take that away and cosplay that, it's really shitty to do to that person for the same reason I would fucking loathe it if it happened to me. And I do hate it when it happens to, you know, when you have, you know, I don't know, I'm throwing examples out real uh, unthought out well here, but, you know, Larry the Cable Guy. Oh, did I just close that? Uh... Oh, sorry. Never mind. Uh, ignore me. I, I accidentally pressed something weird. Um, okay. I'm throwing out examples real loose on the hip here, but like Larry the Cable Guy. Um, nothing against, I, I guess against him. He's making his money, but the dude is like Ivy League educated. He does not have a Georgia Southern accent. He doesn't even really do a Georgia Southern. He does a bullshit fake Hollywood Southern accent, but, you know, makes money pretending to be a southerner like that kind of bullshit um the, the fucking movie that came out here recently that was about poor people in appalachia that was written by the the fucking guy who uh, the what the j power and associates whatever thing i don't know i'm tangenting here but it's shitty to take away other people's culture and cosplay it for your own use and that made me want to pull away from how i felt about buddhism uh, in like, not even in like a direct A was B thing in my mind. It just, I just did. I, it just happened. Yeah. I mean, I can certainly like, I don't know, like understand that sort of reaction. I think that There's a there's a conflict in my mind a little bit in, in specifically around like when it comes to like cultural stuff and and you know people moving around and you know yeah the the concept of like costuming versus like authentic interest and all that stuff is like such a hard thing to to go into because like you know like it gets really messy really fast as to like you know whether or not someone's doing something wrong or whether or not they're just genuinely interested or genuinely want to become a part of a different culture or whatnot. Like, um, but, you know, setting all that aside, like I, yeah, I completely agree in the sense of like, specifically around that, that sense of like, I belong to a thing and, you know, I am now at this moment in my life where I am coming from this angle. I do have this lens. I do have this approach that is, you know, real and 
it is um, not something that you get to reject. You know, even your rejection of it, uh, you you are in many ways deciding that your identity is going to be like this thing that I am or this thing that I have been given. I reject it, and you are now almost living your life in opposition a thing rather than having a thing that you belong to you're belonging to the rejection of that thing um i felt this a lot in like the atheist community in that like we would um you know they'd have like events and stuff like that and we'd like go or we'd hold them or whatever and we would get there and you know sometimes you'd find really cool people that had you know like this shared experience and you're like oh that's so you know refreshing to hear i'm not the only one in this whole state that's that's uh not religious or whatever uh, and you, you'd have that conversation a lot. And sometimes then you find you have other interests in, you know, the conversation would go, but then other times you realize the only thing you share in common with this person is this one shared experience. And like, there's not a broader culture, like this community doesn't have a culture of its own. It only stands against the existing sort of Christianity hegemony in the United States. And so like, once you're kind of done talking about how much the Christian hegemony sucks and well, all the bad things that you feel like it's done to you or to people, you know, or, you know, and you, you're done comparing that experience. It's like, from that moment on, like, it gets really hard to, to build a thing. Cause you know, I'm sitting across from people who come from radically different cultures or radically different backgrounds. And like, there's no longer a shared moment and so like i i have noticed like a lot of atheist spaces either cascade into some sort of like political identity or they um sort of cascade into um a hyper fixation on just constantly criticizing and arguing with religious stuff and like imagining religion as like the central thing because they have nothing else to glom onto uh and that became tiring so i i ended up sort of exiting a lot of atheist spaces specifically just because there wasn't a broader cultural connection there. I was like, I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one, but I kind of know that now. And I do kind of get exhausted talking about like, you know, my religious trauma or whatever. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna now move on <laughs> to a place and try to find, if I, like, if I wanted a community that was, uh, you know, centered around a, a political thing uh, i can find that elsewhere and did uh but you know at least now it's like honestly centered around that instead of you know pretending that it's about something else yeah no no i get that and i mean and i think that's one of the things that's like driving me right now is that like so obviously to anybody who's been following this episode i've moved from oklahoma to my home in southern missouri and now that i'm back here i'm almost feverishly pulling people together to create that political community that I never had. Like I, when, the last time I lived here, I, ne I didn't know anybody who was really politically aligned with where I am now for sure. Otherwise I probably would be where I am now. I think RDC made me a lot of who I am now. But uh, so now I'm like almost feverishly reaching out to people here that I know who both share that cultural I, like local identity that we have those similarities together, but then also have this political identity now that it's like having that, that intersection feels so incredible. And 
I think that's something incredibly valuable to know and understand and operate within for organizers who are organizing wherever it is that they live in their communities is understanding that those intersections of community are important both to your efficacy and to like it can't just be and this is one of the things that i felt like rdc was the first time i'd ever really experienced this if it can't just be an organizing space it also has to be a community mm. like sure playing board games isn't directly tearing down the walls of capitalism but it is a critical critical part of organizing if you want to have the strength resilience flexibility and just the functionality to actually do the the direct action things that you want to do the mutual aid that you want to do the whatever union even just building a union inside your workplace if you and i've seen this as memed out and and said by certain unions but if you walk into your workplace and you just day one start pestering all of your coworkers about like hey join my union hey join the union hey join the fucking union you're just gonna be everybody's hated coworker. You gotta build friends. You gotta know how to be friends with people and how to talk about things that aren't just the things you hate at work and talk about things that aren't just marks and 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 anarchism. Like you gotta be able to talk about some bullshit and have and enjoy things and sometimes that's going to mean consuming problematic media and sharing it with each other like thor <laughs> and how marvel is some problematic media they don't treat their people who work for them great and are real weak about some trying to you know they're propaganda -y. they are largely funded by the pentagon but you you know what <laughs> it, it, fuck it life is short enjoy some things understand its problems when you consume it and so therefore avoid you know buying into the things that it's giving you but and then you know be able to have friends and talk about some bullshit and maybe pull a couple of good things out of it uh i don't know that's yeah yeah i mean well obviously <laughs> as the director of community for rdc i agree with that <laughs> um but yeah i mean that kind of was was the vision of that was like you know it, it needs to be um it needs to be somewhere where it's not just um you know um it needs to be a place that's more than just where you go to dump all your political work because the places that I've seen that are like that are places where you go into them and you dump a bunch of work. And because that thing is only focused on the work and only, you know, has that thing. And we've talked about this several times already today, this, this idea of like, uh, you know, a place that becomes so deeply focused on one thing that it completely defines itself by that thing. And like, doesn't really have like a broader, deeper cultural connection it's not a tree with roots it's just like one root and it's like whole thing is to like grow that one root down all the way as deep as possible and that's not a robust solution to a robust problem you know so uh there's you know i, I definitely have that sense of like this uh like a church right like 
in theory is just a mechanism for spreading its religion like like that's the way that it continues to exist it spreads it to its own children and it spreads it to as many other people as possible right but like why does a church have a kitchen in it why does a church have like social events like why do they do all that stuff and you know imagining stuff like that it was like oh well you know that's just it is like it's it's more than just that it needs to be more than just that it needs to be a place where you can belong because if you are in a place that's wholly focused on the one thing people come in and they dump all their work into you know that organization for whatever cause it's dedicated to whether it's like racial justice or you know economic justice or you know just leftism in general they dump a bunch of work and because that organization is only focused on that it will consume as much of that as you let it and people come in and the as far as the organization is concerned it's like let's just you know accept all the work and try to get people to dedicate more work because we got a lot of work to do blah 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 and it's very focused on that and people just come in they completely burn out and then they check out of politics for a long time and the thing eventually kind of you know burns through all the activists in uh the area and then uh you know runs out of people to do all the work and kind of putters out but like to me i wanted to, you know i i i say i wanted to redrick collective broadly not just me wanted to create a place that's not just about um, getting as much work out of people as possible and wholly focus on this thing. It's about building a place that people want to be, want to belong to, where like they don't come to Redrick Collective events because um, they're, you know, great moral people dedicated to the cause. They come to it because they like being there, because they like hanging out with those people. They like, you know, doing the fun stuff. And they also do care about the cause and they do want to help with that thing. Um, and so it, it gives me a lot of uh, a lot of joy to hear you say that about your experience there because um, it puts some validity to this thing this this theory that I that that we've had in our head of um, you know why uh, why should we spend our time uh, having coffees and uh, playing board games as a leftist organization um, because it does ultimately help uh, people do stick around in ways that um i've noticed that they don't always stick around in uh, other organizations that i've been a part of so i'm um i'm very happy to hear you say that and you couldn't spend the first five minutes of a general meeting at rdc without seeing a program that exists solely because we were all drinking coffee or eating lunch or playing board games and somebody said yeah i have this idea yeah, I mean, legitimately, uh, you know, I think solidly half of our projects now at this point are a function of stuff people have brought up in um, a board game night or at a coffee. Um, even RDC itself, in some sense, is born out of that in that like a huge part of the the framework that informs how we structure the organization. It comes out of you know, essentially like a small group of friends who got together regularly and chatted about politics and all kinds of stuff that we cared about. And we're comparing notes on like, uh, you know, why, why, uh, you know, why we agree with this thing, but like we find Twitter frustrating or like, why is, um, 
you know, like, here's a take I saw. What do you guys think about it? Let's like sort of like in a, in a place of charity, you know, explore through like, you know, is this take bad? Is this take good? Like, what's the merits? So what's the demerits, I guess, like the, mm-hmm. the, th- the things that suck about it or whatever, like really sort of picking stuff apart and like going through those experiences and like arriving at a place where we go like, okay, you know, now that we feel like we have a good grasp on like what we think is good like incorrect and what we think is bad behavior and, and, you know, anti-pragmatic or whatever, like what would it look like if we really did try to like make this a thing? (laughs) And like, that's really not anything more than a bunch of thought work being done over coffees and lunches and uh, you know, game nights and stuff like that among a small group of friends. And so it's not actually terribly weird to imagine it as, you know, you know blowing that out to the to a community of 20 people 50 people 100 people you know um so yeah and it's a necessary part of something that i think this podcast is largely about and that i recently i was listening to a podcast that was talking about the spanish civil war and it dove into and i'm not gonna we need to wrap up this podcast well i'm not gonna dive into all of this but (laughs) this you know cool shit that anarchists did during the spanish civil war which there was a lot but all of the anarchists doing this cool shit during and previous to the Spanish Civil War were like second and third and fourth generation anarchists. Like their parents and grandparents and sometimes great grandparents had been doing anarchist shit. That's a necessary element of revolutionary work. It's got to be multi-generational. Your kids got to want to do do what you did and their kids are going to need to want to do what their parents did and what you did. Um, parenting is a revolutionary act. And if you don't make it into something like this, that's long-term sustainable, it won't be. So. Yeah, for sure. It's hard because, you know, there's a lot of like, especially like, for example, around a lot of the Roe v. Wade stuff, like um, there's that very heavy pressure in the moment where you're seeing like, you know, a loss and going, we got to do something. What can we do? And like, you know, you just realize that like, we don't have the power. We don't have the power to do the thing that things that we want to do to really fight this thing. And it just sucks to like, look at a room full of people uh, who are all like either actively harmed for that or deeply concerned by a loved one who is actively harmed by a thing. And then going like having to sort of like reluctantly say, there's nothing we can do. We just have to keep sticking to the mission that we've been doing of building this movement. And uh, recognize that we're going to have to eat this loss for a while. And um, that sucks. That sucks real bad to say. Uh, uh, it sucks to think it sucks to say it sucks to hear it. Like, but it's true. You know, it's like, we're, we, we, we can't skip to the end, you know? And if we try to skip to the end, we're all going to burn out and then we're all going to check out of politics. And then this thing's going to flame out like every other leftist project has in this area. Um, yeah you know so i i agree with you it's sometimes it's it's really hard to swallow that pill sometimes because there's always some giant vortex that was willing to swallow your effort and your uh you know tempt you into yelling charge while you're still gathering your troops mm-hmm. yeah no 100 percent, and that's uh well, speaking of skipping to the end for 
<laughs> for folks who, uh, uh, you know, this has been a very short, brief return episode. <laughs> we we said going into this, like, ah, we got 45 minutes because uh, I still haven't paid for Zoom. This is going to be no problem. We'll just skip right to the end. It'll be quick. And then now we're on our third recording session later. We, we um, underestimated how much uh, just catching up. I think Tommy and I had to do. <laughs> That's the um, truth. But yeah. Um, but this has been a fantastic episode. We're going to continue having more of these episodes uh, every week um, into the future. I have a new recording space uh, where hopefully maybe we'll pull on some guests here again soon uh, and start doing this a lot more. Um, but I'm going to have to get myself a mic stand. I've been awkwardly holding my mic this whole time. Oh, yeah, um, your arm must be tired. <laughs> I'm going to have to chloroform my dogs. I'm kidding. Won't be doing oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moldy masculinity does not uh, support or condone the chloroforming of dogs or uh, anyone for that no. matter no you will all just have to deal with some occasional dog barking um, it's, it's a net positive it, you're enjoying it everyone loves dogs uh, spe specifically barking in their ear everyone loves that um, but yeah, we're, no, we're burying this in too many layers of irony. People aren't going to be able to tell whether or not you're actually going to chloroform your dog or not. <laughs> I am not. Definitely not. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's been a fantastic episode. Uh, loved catching up with you again, Philip. Uh, yeah. I hope everyone out there is gained something from this episode. I think there's been a lot put into this episode uh, to be gained. Um, thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful morning afternoon evening or night wherever time it, i've i lost my whole exit i had <laughs> such a good exit uh, it, but I'll, it's it's have a have a wonderful morning afternoon evening or whatever time of day it is there we go thank you <laughs>